Well, good morning. And uh, like Jessica was saying, that is uh, the, <clears throat> excuse me, why I take a sip. As far as the awakening meeting, we're, we're just waiting on the YWCO. There's their um, opening up in three different phases and um, we're very thankful for the YWCO and our ability to met there over the past couple years. And, and so um, y'all pray for the YWCO, Lord give them wisdom. And as they start to open things up, then that's gonna open up our possibilities. So just to kind of give you an update on where we're at, where we're at as meeting in person. But uh, this, this week is part three and countdown to Pentecost. And, you know, we've been looking at Acts chapter one, chapter and verse and chapter two. And last week, you know, we learned that when the disciples were in the upper room and they were praying, as Jesus had instructed them to wait until they received power from on high, that a violent rushing wind came into the room, tongues rested above their head, tongues of fire. And what these different things symbolize. And so, you know, last week we learned that when, when God sends forth his fire, he's consecrating temple spaces. So in the Old Testament, God appeared to Moses in the burning bush on Mount Sinai. And then he said, you're gonna to go to Egypt, you're gonna free my people, and you're gonna bring them back to this place, Mount Sinai, that I may establish a covenant with them. And so you fast forward, God brings the Israelites through the Red Sea and delivers them, which the Red Sea, by the way, is another symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ. We pass through the blood and he delivers us. But they go to Mount Sinai and Moses goes up on the mountain and there's a storm, a, a violent storm and fire and smoke, darkness and gloom is what Hebrews calls it. And so there's, there's wind, there's thunder and lightning, and, and Moses receives the Ten Commandments and, and uh, establishes, God establishes covenant with the Israelites. You have that in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah's mouth is touched with a coal. Solomon dedicates the temple. Fire comes from heaven, consumes the sacrifices on the altar. All the priests fall, fall back and... I've said this before, but personally, one of my dreams is for us to be worshiping as a as a body and for the glory of God to come so strongly that nobody can stand up. And it's happened many times. And there's also a time in the scriptures and where the people of Israel rejoice so profoundly that the earth split, there was an earthquake. You know, so it's our rejoicing literally shakes the earth it shakes the heavens it, it moves things and so our praise our worship is powerful and but god comes and his fire consecrates temple spaces so you fast forward to um the book of acts you have a violent rushing wind a storm essentially you have the tongues of fire but the but the tongues of fire are resting over each individual and so what is God saying by a, a little pillar of fire, so to speak, resting over each individual is that you, 
on my temple space. And 1 Corinthians 6 talks about this. And we're actually going to talk, talk about being God's personal temple space next week. And so in uh, Acts chapter 2, the first four verses, it says, um, After these tongues of fire and the wind came, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And so Peter goes and he preaches a sermon. And 3,000 people come to the Lord. And so more than likely, they weren't in the upper room. It says they were gathered in one place. And, and sometimes we think that that was in the upper room because that's where they were praying. But they were also going to, to the temple to pray. And so I, I believe that they're actually in the temple. And because it was the Feast of Weeks, it was Pentecost. All these pilgrims had come to Jerusalem to worship the Lord because it's a it's a pilgrimage feast and they're around the temple there's, there's people waiting to get in the temple and so there's a humongous crowd of thousands of people they're filled with the holy spirit in the temple peter goes out preaches three thousand people um get saved and so again god pours out his fire in his temple just like he did in solomon's temple except it's over each individual person I just think that's amazing the way God does things. And so, um, you know, part of what I want to talk about this morning is just the tale of two different temples. You know, there's, as we go through Acts, there, there's a conflict, basically, of two different temples. And so you have the temple that Herod built in Jerusalem, which was the physical building that people would go to worship God. And because God is God, you can... He'll meet you in a temple. He'll meet you in a building. But God will also meet you under a tree. He'll meet you in your car. He'll meet you in the middle of the night while you're nursing your baby. He'll meet you anywhere. He says he can't be restrained or put in a temple. He said, where can you find one that's big enough? And yet, and so the only thing that can cover the earth, there's no building that can cover the whole earth. The only building that can cover the earth is his people. And so God is looking for a global temple. And this, is, and this is, again, part of what we talked about last week. So Jesus' temple that he built consists of people. And so people are meeting in homes all over Jerusalem, and they're approaching life in a very radical new way. And as the Spirit's leading them, they're giving uh, their, of their property. They're selling their property, giving it to the poor. They're serving the poor. And... Um, they're, they're breaking bread together. They're sharing all things together as in, as they have need. And, um, you know, sometimes people call this uh, Christian socialism. And uh, the difference between a, a government like that, a socialist government, and, and Christianity is, is just the freedom to choose. And we're going to go into that uh, just a little bit more. But Peter and the Apostles, it says that they're performing signs, healings, and wonders in the temple in the name of Jesus. So the name of Jesus is mentioned 11 times in chapters 3 through 5 of Acts. And this is actually recalling a promise made in Deuteronomy chapter 12 where, where God says that the temple will be the place where I choose for my name to dwell. And so... I want to go back into the book of Leviticus and talk about this strange story 
that happened with two priests who were actually the sons of Aaron. And their names were Nadab and Abihu. And so God's pouring out. You have to imagine the scene that's happening. God is pouring out his spirit profoundly. It's like a river is, has been released in a city. And it's, and it's overtaking the believers. And they're being filled with the Holy Spirit. People are getting saved daily. Thousands are coming to know the Lord at one time. I mean, 3,000 at Peter's first sermon, 5,000 at the second sermon that Peter preaches. You have your normal everyday people like Peter and the apostles. They were blamed for their being uneducated and untrained, but they knew that they had been with Jesus. You have people like Stephen filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And so when God pours out his glory, in such a profound way, there's also like a responsibility that comes along with that. And so while people are being filled with joy, they're celebrating, they're rejoicing. They're even rejoicing when they're being persecuted. And so only the Holy Spirit can, can do something like that where you're getting beat and you're thanking God for it. And that, that's a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so while there's joy, there's refreshing, there's repentance, there's also um, some serious business about the Lord's presence and his glory coming forth in such a profound matter. And so in Leviticus, you have this story in Leviticus that parallels another incident in Acts. And so in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on, incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron, therefore, kept silent. Good move on Aaron's part. We have a, um, well, David Hogan, who's a missionary in Mexico that we admire. He, he talks about Holy Spirit moving so powerfully in their meetings that anyone who got up to speak would actually get knocked back by the power of the Holy Spirit five or six feet and he, he told one of the indigenous pastors he said don't go up there and pray don't do anything religious just read scripture and so the pastor goes up there he's reading scripture and then he goes off to pray his own prayer and he, Holy Spirit knocks him back six feet and I use that as a modern day example of like the glory of the Lord being this thing that we that we approach God as holy with reverence and awe with the fear of the Lord and and so you go to Luke and you have a parallel story that happens I mean, I'm, I'm sorry Luke's writing in Acts and uh, you have let me tell you the chapter there Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 11 talks about the story of Ananias and Sapphira and so it says that Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property 
and kept back some of the price for themselves. And he, or Ananias kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. As he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard it. The young men got up and covered him, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put to the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young man came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And this is the key. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. And so my point being is that we can't take for granted, first of all, God's presence. But we do have to approach him as holy. And we're made holy by the blood of Jesus. That's our confidence, not in anything that we're doing but by the blood of Jesus. But when we were flippant with the way that we live our life or we um, do things first and ask forgiveness later or, or whatever those things that are very casual in our approach and not thoughtful and intentional in the way, in the way asking whether that these things honor the Lord or not. And so there's many times where I'll start a movie or a show and I just stop it in the middle of it because it's going to a place I don't know God doesn't want it to go there or listening to something or whatever the case may be guarding my heart and keeping it with all diligence for, for out of the flow the wellsprings of life and so what God is really doing I feel like part of what he's been doing during this whole quarantine time is preparing his temple he's been consecrating it he's been cleaning it out and for us, that means removing any idols that we have in our heart. And, and only the Holy Spirit can show us. So we have to give him the invitation. And I think it's much better to give the Holy Spirit the invitation and him to show you than for him. And so to humble yourself before the Lord instead of being humbled. And uh, so, I, you know, I have a friend who's been he's been cleaning his garage like many of us have or storage spaces and he's literally been coming across physical idols that uh, he had his grandfather was a missionary in Japan at the turn of the, the 20th century and brought back a lot of these artifacts or, or articles that were used in temple worship and they've been covered up in storage and as they were cleaning out they came across these idols and they they literally started smashing these idols and it was just a, a profound picture i believe of what god has been doing in a lot of our hearts um, through the 
quarantine, if if we want to cooperate with the Lord. And so, just like these idols that were been hidden, and there's some of the things I know for me, God's been revealing things that were hidden, and for the purpose of smashing them, so that we can. It's for freedom that Christ came to set us free. He did. Jesus is not in the business of trying to kill joy. He's the one that promotes joy. And he knows the things that, that hinder joy, that hinder love, that hinder peace are, are these idols. And in Psalm 139, verses 23, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. How many of us have had anxious thoughts during this time? Why are we having anxious thoughts? What's causing that anxiety? And see if there be any hurtful, some translations say painful, way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, the interesting thing about uh, this word painful is it actually can mean idle. And so another way to read the scripture is see if there are any idols in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So what do idols do? They lead to, they lead to pain. But God wants to lead us in the everlasting way. And, and so we go back to this, this story about the two priests, about strange fire. The word strange here can mean foreign or adulterous. And so Aaron's sons, somehow, we're not sure exactly what it was, but they somehow offered adulterous fire before the Lord. And they were consumed by the fire of the Lord. And so I just want to say that the Lord is jealous for his for his name. He's jealous for you and me. Anybody when the when the devil tries to come in and steal, kill, and destroy, God comes with his fire for his bride. And I've I've been praying, it's like, God, make me jealous for your name. There was a man named Phineas in Numbers chapter 25 that says that he was jealous for God's name. Because there there was another there's another story of people taking lightly the presence of God. And so I, I've been praying that prayer, God, let me let me be jealous for your holy name, Lord. And it doesn't look like striving. It doesn't look like me trying to uh, do more. And so we, the, the mistake that we make is we try to do more for the Lord instead of just surrender more. It's not about doing more. It's, it's about surrender, giving things to God and asking him and giving him permission to come and move in our hearts. And so you have this other temple, and that's the temple of Herod, the people that believe that God's presence is constrained in, uh, in this physical temple where the Holy of Holies is. And its leaders are threatened by this new movement that Jesus has started and his apostles and so they try to arrest the apostles and stop them and uh, we're introduced to Stephen who's not one of the apostles and I love the story of Stephen because it gives us permission as believers no matter who we are to do the things that Stephen did so he's selected by the apostles as being full of faith and wisdom and he had been found among those serving the widows and began preaching in the temple courts. I love the way Stephen started off his ministry, so to speak. He started off serving widows. You know, he took the, less, the least glamorous 
position in ministry, the thing that people often don't see, but the Lord sees. And there's just so many people like that in the body of Christ who aren't in front of a screen, they don't have a microphone, but they're the ones that are famous in heaven because they're doing the things that are near and dear to God's heart. <clears throat> So Stephen, he's selected by the apostles as being full of faith and wisdom. And he had been found among those serving, serving the widows, as I said, and he was full of grace and power, according to Acts 6, chapter 6, verse 8. And so Stephen, he, gives a, he starts giving this speech, talking about how predictable it was that the religious leaders would persecute what God is doing. And so he retells the Old Testament story highlighting characters like Joseph, Moses, the prophets, people who were consistently rejected and persecuted by their own people. And so Israel's been resisting God's representatives for centuries. And so their rejection of Jesus and now his followers is actually a rejection of God himself. And so they get angry, they start to execute Stephen by picking up stones to smash him to death with the stones, throwing them at him. And as he's dying, he commits himself to the way of Jesus to suffer because of the sins of others. That's the way of Jesus, you, you suffer because of the sins of others. And he even cries out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them, which is exactly what Jesus cried out from the cross as his enemies were mocking him, saying, if you're the king of the Jews, you're the son of God, calling a thousand angels to save you. Why don't you do that? And they're mocking, they're laughing. The Roman soldiers are mocking him and laughing. Utterly rejected. Utterly being shame and condemnation being thrown on him. Now, one of the things about Jesus that I love is he never took ownership of shame. Even though it was constantly being thrown on him. And, and, and so he, ne he never owned it because he knew who he was. And so Stephen, he becomes the first martyr of the Jesus movement with many more martyrs to come. But as, as Stephen dies, there's, there's these seeds of hope with Stephen's death. And that hope is, is that murder, even murder, cannot stop the kingdom of God. And as if you've read that story, Jesus, as Stephen is dying, Jesus stands up. And I, I just see Jesus standing up in honor of Stephen. And I, I, I think about what would it be like for you to walk into a room, Jesus is, seat, is seated, and he stands up to honor you because of your obedience to him. And and I believe that, you know, it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. We're seated with him. And there are those times where Jesus stands up to honor the ones who have loved, who have not loved their lives unto death like Stephen. And so the, the church starts being persecuted. And the, the disciples, they scatter out into Jerusalem and into Judea and into Samaria, just like Jesus said. And so you have Acts chapter 1 through 4 is about Jerusalem, and then the rest, of, or 1 through 5 is about what God's doing in Jerusalem, and then the rest of the book of Acts 
is what he does in the outermost parts of the earth. And so, one of the, there's two questions I want you to take away from today, and uh, you might need to write them down, but what would be an, the first question is, what would be an offering of strange fire before the Lord today? What would be an offering of strange fire before the Lord today? That's the first question. If you're with your family, friends, maybe y'all can discuss this. Remember, strange fire can mean adulterous fire or foreign fire. And then the second question is, what four things was Stephen full of in Acts chapter 6? What four things is Stephen full of in Acts chapter 6? So y'all, you know, with your family or whoever, or if you're by yourself, just answer those questions honestly before the Lord. And uh, I want to pray for us. Jess, you got anything? more examples of strange fire okay and like what that would be like how to answer that question so a few so a few examples are a way to answer the strange fire question what are some examples of strange fire so anything that you love more than the lord <laughs> and so that could be uh finances it could be you know sometimes we we idolize a house or a car material things typically are the things that we idolize that's why in the old testament you know the idols were actually made of physical materials and so even for us today we might not have a statue erected in our house but it could also could be um i've got an idol of the way people need to love me they need to love me according to my love language or whatever it can be a number of things that are holding you back that are causing you pain and they're not allowing you any more freedom. So it can look like a lot of different things. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. He'll speak to you. And this is what I love about the Holy Spirit. He's not there to condemn you when he reveals these things to you. He's there to bring refreshing. And, and when you when you repent and when he shows you something, it's, it's the voice of conviction. It's not the voice of condemnation. And so we don't have to be afraid of the Lord with these answers because he's a father. I was reading this morning in Proverbs chapter three, and it says, do not despise the correction of the Lord because he corrects the sons that he takes delight in. So whenever the Lord corrects you, think of, have this thought, man, the Lord delights in me. Man, the Lord really delights in me. If he, when he brings a correction or a reproof. Yeah, when you um, come up with those strange fires, um, tell somebody what they are. Get them in the light. Uh, it's really, it can be hard whenever those things come up and we don't talk about them because they tend to become bigger than they actually are. Or maybe they're not as big as they need to be, one or the other. And so finding someone to tell, call someone, set up a FaceTime, Google Hangout. Uh, if you are married, tell your spouse what the strange fires in your heart are and take those to the Lord's and, and repent, let them die uh, so you make room 
for the fire of God. Um, and that's something that Travis and I do. Uh, you know, sometimes it seems like a little thing, but the little things become big things. So when we have a strange fire in our heart, we share those with each other and pray for one another. Um, and then when you uh, read through uh, Acts and about Stephen and find out what he was full of, talk about it with somebody, talk about it with your roommate or your children, um, get them to dig in here and, and see what Stephen was full of. Uh, Stephen was the kind of person that we want to grow up to be in the Lord. <laughs> and so uh, we can ask God to give us those things uh, when we dig in and, and find those in this word. Um, also, uh, one of my children just asked me what Pentecost was. So that's a great conversation to have. I mean, you can use all kinds of resources. I'm not going to answer that for y'all right here, but I, um, I'll say there's some great things. You can Google it. Google what's Pentecost and what was, you know, it's the Jewish celebration, and it has a totally different name that I can't pronounce. Um, and, you know, how it started and how the Jewish culture uh, celebrates Pentecost and how interesting it is that... Um, the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. Um, it's just, that's one of the beautiful things about um, the Lord doesn't do anything um, without forethought. And his timing does matter. And so many times we think God is late. Um, he's not late. He's very strategic about his time. And so that's part of learning to trust him. And it really helps us trust him when we see how he fulfilled all the prophecies and all the law through Jesus. Like God fulfilled everything through Jesus. And Pentecost is one of those things too. So um, dig in, talk about these things with the people around you. We love you all. Yeah, we had one more thing as a family. We'll do it after you pray. Okay. All right, we're going to pray. And uh, this has been a constant prayer of mine. And I just feel the Lord wanting us to pray again this morning. And Father, we thank you um, for what you did at Pentecost over 2,000 years ago, pouring out your Holy Spirit for all believers to have access to. And God, we're praying for a fresh baptism of fire over our hearts, God. Lord, we are your temples, and we pray that you come and you, you cleanse your temple. You make it houses us houses of prayer, Father, that you make us as individuals, you make us as families, as churches, you make us houses of prayer, Father, practicing your presence, giving thanks to you in all things. Lord, baptize our hearts, Lord, we need you. We need you to set us apart, God. Pray for just a supernatural hunger and thirst for righteousness for us, God. That we would find your word and eat it, and it would become the joy and delight of our heart. That we would eat the scroll, and it would be like honey to us, God. Lord, that, that we would run in the way of your commandments as you enlarge our heart. That you would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law, Father. Lord, I declare that the fear of the Lord is clean. 
The fear of the Lord is clean. The fear of the Lord is clean, Lord. Just like Psalm 19 says, the fear of the Lord is clean. So Lord, come. Cleanse us. Clean us, Lord. We thank you that by the blood of Jesus, all these things are possible. That we have bold access to you, Father, as, as your children. And Lord, make us ready for when you pour out your spirit in even greater measure than you did in the book of Acts. Lord, we believe it's coming. We believe it's promised in the scriptures. So make us ready, Father, as a temple, as your people globally, that your glory may cover the earth. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus.